Um, this morning, we're going to be continuing our study of the book of Acts, again, as Mike said in leading off today's service. We're calling this series Authentic Church. If we want to be an authentic church, we've got to see what God's Word says an authentic church is and does, what it looks like, what its mission is, what it's aiming at, and what it strives to be. We've been in particular looking at a three-part mini-series through Acts chapter 9 about the Apostle Paul. And I've said that this section can be broken down into three components. The first was verses 1 through 9, and in that section we saw the encounter that the Apostle Paul, or would be the Apostle Paul, Saul, the encounter that he had with Jesus Christ. And the second section that Pastor Gene covered last week was about the conversion of Saul. And today we're going to be looking at the call to ministry of the Apostle Paul. And again, as, I, as I've said before, there's unique details about this that are unrepeatable. Paul saw the risen, glorified Christ. He saw a blinding light. He was over uh, on the other side of the world, and he, he heard a voice from heaven and all this. So he was blind afterwards. There's certainly unrepeatable elements to it. But what I hope we all recognize is that while everyone's testimony is unique in some regard, everybody has a unique testimony. Saul had a unique testimony, so do you. But sometimes we look at the unique elements and we fail to see the common elements. And I would actually say these three steps that we see in the life of Saul are exactly the same for any of us. Before you're ever going to become a Christian, you actually have to encounter Jesus. It's not just about finding a religion or getting involved with the religious group. It's actually encountering Christ in a radical way such that you are never the same again. And everyone must encounter Christ. But when we encounter Christ, we have a decision to make. You have to make a decision to obey and follow the call of God in your life. We call that conversion. And we saw with Saul, as with all believers, it was marked by faith. That's the first initial step, but then water baptism, that public symbol of initiation into the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. And then you see that today Saul is called to ministry. And again, though his ministry is unique, all of us are called to ministry of some kind. And that's what we're going to be focusing on today. So we're going to read Acts 9, verses 20 through 30. We'll pray and we'll get into this morning's message. If you would, please stand with me now for the reading of God's Word. Acts 9, 20-30. This is the Word of the Lord. Immediately, he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? and has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength, and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. 
But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. And he disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you delight in the prayers and praises of your people. We thank you, Lord, that when you send forth your word, it will accomplish that for which you have sent it. Lord, we pray that that purpose this morning would be towards the softening of our hearts. We pray that none of us today would hear your voice and yet harden our hearts like Israel did in the wilderness when they rebelled against you. So, Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be at work among us today, conforming each one of us to the image of Christ. We pray that we would encounter him. We pray that we would be overwhelmed by his love, by his forgiveness, by his goodness, by his generosity, by his wisdom, and by his power. And we pray that no one would leave the same way as they came here this morning, but each person would be sanctified, set apart for the work of ministry you have for each and every one of them. I ask for a blessing over the teaching of your word this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I'm calling this morning's message from tyranny to ministry, from tyranny to ministry. If you think about the Saul, who would later be called the Apostle Paul, that's really what characterizes his life. He went from tyranny, a man who was tyrannizing Christians and Christianity and the church. He was nothing but trouble. And immediately, it seems, with an encounter of Christ and conversion, he begins immediately ministering powerful in, in his name. Now, as I wanted to point out, obviously there are unique elements to the story of Saul and to his ministry. But what I want to highlight this morning is five principles about ministry that apply for all of us that we can extract from this story about Saul. Because all of God's people are called to ministry. There's nobody here, there is nobody joining us online that is not called to ministry. Again, if you look up the word ministry in a dictionary, I looked up the Merriam's dic uh, Webster Dictionary, for example, and the first three all have particularly religious connotations, and they relate to, you know, ordained clergy, minister, something like that. But then the fourth one states the more basic definition of the word, and that is simply the agent or means through which something is accomplished. For example, we still will use this word in, uh, in politics and government, such as the Minister of Defense or the Ministry of Defense, or if you're a Harry Potter fan, the Ministry of Magic or something like that. They'll use the word ministry in the more generic use of the word. And I think that's how we need to primarily think about the word ministry. Yes, it has a, a, a connotation for church leadership and pastors, etc. I'm not discounting that, but I am saying that I think if we make it solely about one person's function, then we start to think that it no longer applies to anybody else. And then the next thing you know, we have congregations full of people who think that they don't have a role in the ministry. 
And I just want you to be encouraged. This is a responsibility. So it could be a loving, gentle kick in the rear to someone today. I understand that. But I hope for many of you, this will be a blessing and an encouragement. That God has a calling on your life. He has a purpose. You have an essential, vital role, whether you know it or not, whether your neighbor knows it or not, in God's plan to reach the world for Christ. And so ministry is for everyone. And there's something to learn, even from Saul, who we can all acknowledge, including me, has unique elements to his particular ministry. So I want to go through five points about ministry. Number one, notice that ministry begins immediately. Number one, ministry begins immediately. Look at verse 20. It says, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. How long did Saul wait before he began serving Jesus? The text says, euthus, immediately, immediately he begins serving. For, the, for Saul, it is inconceivable that his new life found in Christ should be about anything but Christ. The idea that somebody could be genuinely converted. Now, I don't just mean outwardly affiliating with a religious body, but I'm talking about encountering the gospel through which a man who is dead in his trespasses and sins is born again. How could anyone conceivably live any longer the way they did before? How, how could you do that? And, and for Saul, there is no other way to live but for Christ. But was that just him? Are the rest of us called to just be kind of carnal? Sitting on the side, well, you know, I had a radical conversion experience, but you wouldn't know it because nothing has changed. I literally do the same thing I've always done, except I, I think I'm not going to hell when I die, but there's no practical difference in my life. Friends, there's no such thing. If you've been saved from something, you've been saved to something. Now, I'm all for preaching the gospel with respect to rescuing sinners from hell. I know many people today, and this wouldn't be the first time in history, but I know many people today don't like the doctrine of hell in the sense that they don't believe it or they don't understand how God would be just, etc., etc. But I believe the Bible teaches there is such a place. And ironically, I'd say the opposite. I'd say God's not just if there isn't a hell. What about all the people in all of history who got away with murder? What about Adolf Hitler? What about all the, the, the terrorists, the dictators, and all these things that seemingly these abusers, all these people who've got away scot-free? I'd have a problem believing in the justice of God if there were not a hell. Rather, I believe God is just because there is a hell. There has to be a place. There has to be a time in which what is wrong in the world is made right. And that's what the doctrine of hell is. And so rightly, in, in classical evangelical Christianity, we've taught a lot about hell. We probably remember the title of Jonathan Edwards. If we don't remember anything else of the, the ministry of the 19th century Jonathan Edwards, we will remember this. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. That title of a sermon. And he was preaching about hell and the need to be rescued from the fires of hell after one dies. And again, that is true. But we have to be careful as Christians that when we preach something true, that we preached balanced truth. 
And the balanced truth would be this. The gospel is not just about what you're saved from. It's about what you're saved to. What you are saved for. Because think about it. How many Christians are out there right now, or professing believers or churchgoers, they believed on the gospel, they heard that they were sinners, they heard God was holy and just and everyone's going to die. We all know that. That's not an article of faith. That's as obvious as anything. We're all going to die at one time. What happens after that? The Bible says we will all give an account before God of what we did with our lives, namely how we responded or didn't respond to his son, Jesus. And so they respond to that, but then they're sitting around and, they're do and what, what am I doing now with this little thing called the rest of my life? What is that about? And so if we only preach the gospel as that which you're saved from, we fail. And if you think about it, what is actually the majority of your life? What am I to do? And notice that you are saved for ministry immediately. Now here's where we would peel back the layers of specificity. What Saul was immediately called to do was preach. Not everyone is necessarily called to preach in the same capacity. Notice where he preached. He preached in the synagogues. Not everyone is called right now to up and go preach in your nearest synagogue. Not everyone's called to do that. Not everyone is, was a trained rabbi prior to their conversion with the particular knowledge and wisdom and education that he'd had prior. So yes, there's unique elements. But what are you called to do? What can you do? Ministry doesn't have to be anything great or grand or even seemingly religious. Guess what the very first thing I did when the Lord grabbed a hold of my life as a young man? What was the first ministry I did? I immediately began ministry. I wasn't preaching the Bible. I was vacuuming carpets at a megachurch on Saturdays. Literally. I started going, I, I gave my life to the Lord in Azusa, California. There was no worship band singing just as I am. The Lord spoke to my heart. I began to weep. I fell down on my face, hands and knees, and I told God to take my life and I will follow you wherever you go. Doesn't matter if I'm broke, doesn't matter if I have, you know, relationships, you know, the money, it doesn't matter. I don't care. Just if you will accept me, I will follow you till I die. And I knew from that moment when the Lord accepted that, that commitment of faith, I had to serve. I had to serve. It was a part of who I am. I have to serve. And certainly there were some things I shouldn't have been doing at that point. I, I'm glad nobody gave me the opportunity to teach it. I, I shouldn't have been. But I remember I got involved with the church and immediately I just was like, I've got to serve some way, somehow. What is a possible way they might let me? And I'm like, I know. I'll offer to vacuum their carpets. It was like a multi-thousand person church. I'm like, can I, I don't know how big the building was, but it was pretty good size. And said, can I vacuum your carpets? And they graciously said, no. <laughs> and I'm like, are you kidding me? Why can't, they're like, well, you haven't been here long enough. I'm like, I haven't been here long enough to vacuum your carpet for free? And they're like, no. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I had to like call people I knew that knew them to pull strings to allow me to vacuum their carpets for free. I'm not even kidding. And eventually I was graced with the ability to vacuum the carpet. And that's what I did. And it's not because I loved vacuuming carpets. It's not because it was anything great or grand. It's not because I thought it was my calling. 
I think sometimes we don't serve because we go, oh, well, I don't see myself as being that. I don't see myself as a, as a carpet cleaner. It's like, okay, but do the carpets need cleaning? Does somebody need to do it? Is it some way to contribute to the well-being of this church? And if the answer is yes, 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 and yes, immediately begin doing it. Just do it. Ministry is anything that we're doing for the Lord. Just do it for the Lord. Find a way to serve, but do it immediately. I find we, we come up with all kinds of ways to serve ourselves, to serve our own interests, to do what we want, but why is it we don't serve the Lord? So again, in the long run, I agree. Yes, try to aim at what you think you're fitted for, what you're gifted for, what you're called for, what you're best able to do. I get that. But don't let the long run picture be an enemy of even taking that first step. Just serve. Because one of the things God is doing in service, even a simple act like vacuuming carpets, and again, nobody was seeing me. You know, it wasn't like people are like, oh, that's so sweet of you, humble you. There was like nobody to even see me do it, right? I'm just doing it. But I believe as we serve the Lord for the Lord unto him for what he's done for us, we are formed in his image. That's actually more important than the thing we're doing, and we don't get it. We think, well, who cares if I give a glass of water in his name? Who cares if I uh, pick up a piece of trash, or I, I, I saw this on the side, or I, I picked this, oh, I just saw a need, no one announced it, and I met it, oh, well, maybe it doesn't. Guess what? You are pleasing the Lord. You are worshiping the Lord, and you are becoming like him. And this is what Saul, this was natural for him. This is what he did. He was a rabbi, he was a teacher. So it was literally for him the most natural thing in the world to begin teaching. So immediately, ministry begins immediately. And I would exhort everyone, begin ministering in some capacity, some way, somehow. I don't even know that it matters what you're doing. Just begin doing it. Because that's how you glorify the Lord and that's how you become like Him. Number two, ministry proceeds from testimony. Number two, ministry proceeds from testimony. Look at verse 21. It says, Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? Notice that what we do for the Lord is a response to what he's done for us. What Saul is doing is flowing out of his testimony, and that's the testimony being recorded. People are dumbfounded. They're saying, wait a minute. Are you telling me this guy who's trying to argue that we're wrong and that the Christians are right was the guy that came here to kill Christians? And this was something they were saying to themselves. This was his testimony. Again, and I think many times we, we fail to connect ministry as proceeding from our testimony. It should flow out from our worship of God. It is not a separate thing. It is an overflow. And so oftentimes if we're not ministering, perhaps we're forgetting what God has done for us. I mean, is that not true? Think about that as just a diagnostic test that you can perform on yourself spiritually. If I'm no longer serving the Lord, is it because I've forgotten where I came from? I forgot who I was where I was, what I was doing, who I was doing it with. 
the besetting sins I had, even the ones I didn't like as a sinner and I couldn't quit. And I've forgotten about that. And because I've forgotten about what God has done for me, I no longer have a sense of gratitude. And therefore, I am no longer ministering in His name because ministry proceeds from testimony. It is an overflow of what God has already done in your life. And so we need to recognize that if our, our ministry for the Lord is growing cold, it's probably because we've forgotten. I, I had a gracious reminder just uh, a week and a half ago. I stopped by a pastor's conference. I saw people I hadn't seen in almost 20 years. And just the conversations I had and reminding me of, of things, you know, it's not like I had totally forgotten. They were locked in the back of my brain somewhere, those little memories of, you know, this, that, and the other. But in these conversations with people, just I was overwhelmed with, wow, I had forgotten the memory, the, the feeling, the, the process, the journey. Because it's so easy to just focus on what's right in front of me and to maybe even think about what, what's ahead after this, but to forget what God's already done. And remember, this was one of the great struggles of Israel. I think I've told you in the Hebrew Bible, one of the most prominent verbs is zachar. Remember. 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 Don't forget. Don't forget what great things God has done for you and how He's had compassion on you. Don't forget. Remember. And so let us recall to mind our own testimonies. Let's share them with people in the church. Let's share them in our community groups. And, and again, isn't it funny that we can go to church together for years and, then, and, and, we, and we know each other in the context of ministry and we're serving and we're loving each other and, and we're learning things about each other. But then when you have an opportunity and someone opens up their testimony and their story of 50 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, and you're like, I would have had no idea. I would have, and, and it's not, and I still love you, and I, and I feel like I know, but I, oh my gosh, the, the wealth of the story of the gospel has just become brighter and beautiful through you sharing your story. And so it's something that we need to stir each other up by the recounting of our testimonies. And as I'm pointing out with Saul, and again, it's not about impressing anybody with your story. It doesn't mean, oh, I was the baddest dude, you know, and I was you know, knocking everybody out, you know, or I was doing this, or I was doing that. The greatest thing about your testimony is that it's yours. That's it. We're not competing for who, who did the worst things, or, or who, who was basically really, really good and almost saved on the right. We're not even talking about that. The best thing about your testimony is it's yours. That's what makes it great. And so sharing that, because that's meaningful where I was. Maybe my story is, you know, I, I wasn't doing drugs and, I, and I, I wasn't sinning really bad and I was a good moral person. And so my struggle is actually, I don't need God. I, I just don't, I understand why these people do. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure you need Jesus. I believe you, you know, but I don't, right? Like I've always been driven. I've always been motivated. I've always been disciplined. I've always been self-controlled. I've always been relatively kind and thoughtful. And hence, I don't need Jesus. Maybe that's your testimony. You think, well, that's not a great... Yes, it is. And by the way, from a gospel perspective, that can actually be the hardest kinds of people to ever convert. If you read the gospels, who are the most difficult converts? It's not the prostitutes. It's not the tax collectors. It's not the sinners. It was the self-righteous. It was the Pharisees who said, look at me, I have a squeaky clean life. I keep all the rules. I'm a good person. I'm a good citizen. I'm, I'm actively involved in my community. 
people look up to me, they respect me, those were the hardest ones to reach, according to the gospel, because they will not humble themselves. The worst sin in the Bible isn't what a lot of people think it is. Self-righteousness and pride is the sin that will keep you from going into heaven. If we don't repent of that, we won't receive the gospel. Everything else can be forgiven. But if we refuse our need for the gospel, we can never see the kingdom of God. Remember your testimony, because ministry proceeds from your testimony. Number three, ministry is often met by opposition. Ministry is often met by opposition. Look at verse 23. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Now, again, I'm going to tell you what I think is great and wonderful and enjoyable. I think, I think serving the Lord and ministering the Lord can be the most exciting, rewarding work you'll ever do in your life. For some people, they're like, I, I work this job 60 hours a week so that I can spend two hours a week doing what I really love. What I think my ministry is. This is a ministry over here, the 60-hour-a-week job. This is a ministry in the sense that it supports the ministry that I really want to do. And I'm able to support missionaries in this country, and I'm able to support my church, and, and I'm able to evangelize the lost, or, or whatever it is. And I know for me, the people that I've met over the years, many of whom I, I saw again just this last week, it, it's just, my gosh, how rich are these relationships? How rewarding it is to serve the Lord. How rewarding as we approach the end of our lives to think, I fought the good fight. I kept the faith. I, finished. I, I don't want to get to that day and say, I didn't fight. I didn't keep the faith. I just entertained myself. I just bought this and got that and drove here and drove there and then I'm going to die. I don't want to live that way. And I don't want any of you to live that way either. I want everyone to die knowing that I'm going to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I want everyone to know that they hear that. Not just that you're going to hear it. I want you to know that you're going to hear that. Amen? I want to know that. Who wants to know that? I want to know that I know that I know as scary as being told I've, I've got this long to live, I've got cancer, I've got this disease and this and that and the other in my family, but I know that I know that I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep everything that I have committed to him till that day. And I will hear the voice, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we're aiming at. That's what we're aiming for. This life is short. It is but a breath. It is but a vapor. It is here one day and gone tomorrow. The people who act like they've got all the time in the world are the people least prepared to meet their Lord and Maker face to face. We need to be ready. Ministry is the most amazing thing you could ever do with your life. But now I have to issue a warning. And that is that ministry is often met by opposition. I don't want anyone to get the idea that because I'm saying ministry is great and it's wonderful and it's the best thing you can do with your life, that it won't ever be hurtful. That people will not hurt your feelings. That they will not appreciate your time, your energy, your labor, your effort, your heart. I can't promise that to anyone. And I think for some of us, maybe we don't want to minister because we're scared of being hurt. I, I served in you know this ministry for, for years and, and nobody thanked me. 
and I left and, and nobody noticed or, or, or these people, I, I ministered to them for years or I ministered to their kids for 10 years and then one day a church down the street was giving away free trikes and boom, they were gone. They didn't even say thank you or buy or anything. And I just, I felt used. I felt like an empty Aquafina bottle, just, just tossed, right? Just thrown into the, the recycle bin and, and I don't want to be treated like a product anymore to be used. I want to be treated like a human being made in the image of God and, and ministering, to be honest with you, Pastor Mike, Christians don't treat me that way. They use me. They're like, you know, a really frugal person with the toothpaste. Just squeeze everything out and then that's all there is to it. Now I want you to know that there is going to be opposition in ministry. We see that not, not long after Saul begins his ministry, people want to kill him. Now most of us can probably say, probably, although maybe some of us could say something else, but most of us have not been, people have not tried to kill us yet for our ministry, although who knows? Who knows? That day could come, and as crazy as things are in this country, who knows? But at this point, most of us probably have not experienced that. But that doesn't mean that I think the emotional pain of not being appreciated or, or somebody gossiping about us or something, I think that can be pretty terrible, to be perfectly honest with you. And I, and I know many people who have suffered greatly, but I, I want to highlight something for you. And that is that when we face opposition, when we are hurt, in the ministry, this can actually draw us closer to Christ. Because that is exactly what Jesus faced when he came here to minister to us. When Jesus came, did he avoid all opposition? Did everyone thank him when he healed the ten lepers? Did all ten come back and say thank you? You know, I heard one minister tell me, hey, just keep in mind, when you're in ministry, remember, you know that parable, the healing of the ten lepers? That is a paradigm for the rest of your ministry. You will bless 10 people and one will come back and say thank you. And you just need to know that. Not saying be cynical, but you just need to know that. People are not thankful. They don't appreciate you. That's just how people are. It'll make the one all the sweeter because of the lack of the other nine. But just know, if you're going into this for the wrong motives, if you go into ministry thinking, well, I'm going to get this for myself and this is going to bless me and it's going to build up my pride and my ego and my sense of worth and my value and all that. And if you're looking to people for that, Ministry will probably just destroy you, and you'll never want to do it again. But if you recognize, no, I'm doing it for the Lord as an overflow of what he's done for me, it's simply a response, it's, a, it's out of gratitude for him, then even when I experience opposition or I am hurt for serving the Lord, the beauty is even in that, and perhaps it's precisely because of that, I get more of Jesus because he was willing to serve those who hated him. He was willing to serve those, to heal those who couldn't even issue a thank you. So ministry will often be met by opposition, and you need to know that going into it. Number four, ministry will often place us in humbling circumstances. Number four, ministry will often place us in humbling circumstances. Look at verses 24 through 25. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. Now, now think about it. Is that what the Apostle Paul had in mind? Like, this is what I want my ministry to be about. That I'm going to be running for my... Rather than being appreciated 
and people saying thank you and clapping. What a wonderful message, Saul. Oh, you were just on today, Saul. That was amazing. I loved your illustrations and your jokes. I mean, maybe he had that in mind, and yet here he is. He's being lowered down in a basket. In Greek, it's a spurice. Does anyone know what a spurice is? It's a lunch basket. It's a lunch basket. It's literally the same word used when Jesus fed the 5,000 and they were gathering up the loaves. They put them in spurice, lunch baskets. I don't think when Saul signed up, he thought, hey, you know, one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be preaching the gospel and I'm going to have to run for my life and someone's going to lower me down over a city wall in an Applebee's to-go bag. Like, that, that's not what you're thinking. You don't think that things are going to come to that, but they can. God can often humble us. And nobody, I don't think we want to be humbled. We don't want to. I think for the most part, we try to avoid being humbled to the best of our ability. Like, I don't want to be humble. I don't want to be put in a position where uh, I, I'm put in a bad light or I'm not appreciated or this, that, and the other. But being humbled is a part of the job. Because God, again, is not just looking for your service. He's looking for your sanctification. He cares more ultimately about who we are and who we're becoming even than what we do. Because God doesn't need anything from us. He's not a finite being that's like, hey, I'm pretty powerful, but I'm not all powerful, and I kind of need your help. Can you lift this? This is a little heavy for me, Mike. I need, I need you to lift this ministry. I'm having a hard time. God actually doesn't need me. He loves me, and he's giving me ministry, and ministry is an opportunity to grow and become more like him. And that's what he cares most about. And we have to recognize that if God so values humility, and Christ is the model of humility. That's what Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, that Christ him is all about the humility of Christ, who in the form of God did not consider robbery with God to be equal, but he humbled himself, emptied himself, and made himself nothing. Became a servant, obedient even to the point of death, yes, even the death of the cross. Christ was the most humble man that ever lived. And God is looking for humble people. And you can imagine the wisdom of God in making us humble, putting us in humble circumstances. Because I don't know about you, when I, when I was younger, I really admired gifted people. Right? Somebody who could throw a football, you know, 70 yards, whatever, somebody that could run a 4.240, uh, you know, really strong, powerful people, really charismatic, funny people, whatever, right? I admire giftedness. But as I get older, more and more I'm less impressed with giftedness, and more and more I am inspired by humility. Humble people. And man, honestly, if you can get a gifted person who's also humble, I mean, it, it, it's, it's amazing. But humble people who are never too big and never too proud to serve even the littlest of God's people. Those people are the just, to me, the salt of the earth. And that's not maybe the kind of thing that, that gets all the press and all the noise, even in the Christian world, you know, oh, come, come see the most humble person, you know, like we don't do that, right? Like, bring all your friends where we have a really humble person, you know. Nobody, that's not what people are thinking about, but you know what, when it comes down to it in life, humble people are the most joyous people to possibly be around. And that is who God wants us to be. And God will see to it that if we're willing to serve him, he will place us in humbling circumstances. Lastly, number five, ministry requires support. 
Ministry requires support. Look at verses 26 through 28. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. Now, naturally, uh, th this might seem weird, right? Saul, who's going to become the great apostle Paul, at first Christians didn't want him around. You know, and whether that's A, we're scared, because you were the guy, maybe this is, you know, a ploy, and you're secretly pretending to preach the gospel so that you can infiltrate where our meetings are, you know, because we don't give out the address on the website, so maybe you're infiltrating so you can find out where we are, and then you can arrest us, and you can do this or that, so maybe they're scared. On the other hand, text doesn't say this, but this would certainly be within the realm of possibility, and that is maybe some Christians had a hard time forgiving. Is that possible? Is it possible if this guy's coming in and he's, he's persecuted and pulled off your friends, your family, your fellow brothers and sisters of Christ off to jail or killed them? If any of these people knew Stephen, they were friends of Stephen, they're like, this dude killed him. You can't just be forgiving him, just letting him in. I mean, won't that send a signal? It's okay to just kill Christians and nobody cares and we'll just put up with it and whatever else. Who knows? But the point is, Saul is actually not even welcome in the Christian community, and the only way he is able to enter in is through the support of Barnabas. Barnabas is supporting the Apostle Paul. And again, when we use that word support, oftentimes we talk about financially supporting the church. But remember, there's all kinds of support. And again, this kind of relational support, I mean, I think that is so important. Knowing there's people who have your back. They love you, they're committed to what you're doing, and they have your back through the thick and thin. People that'll introduce you to others and connect you with others and, and work together. We all need support in the ministry. We need support, I, I mean, to stay married in this day and age. That's not a foregone conclusion, is it? Staying married, we need help. We need people to say, hey, oh, we're going through this problem, hey, and they're like, oh, well, we went through that too, and then here's, here's what the Lord did for us, and here's, here's how much it hurt, by the way, and how difficult it was, and here's the hard work we had to do, but here we are, but then you're like, oh, wow, that sounds really hard, don't know if I want to do it, but praise God that it's possible, and going through that with each other, raising children, who knows what, what children are going to do, what they're going to become, the kinds of things the world is telling them to do, again, I don't have to tell you. All kinds of insane things that are going on, but the world's telling your your son he's not really a boy, he's a girl, and your girl's not really a girl, she's a boy. And, and parents are actually having to contend with that kind of stuff. I mean, we need to support one another in the church. In our particular functions, we're gonna need to support. Not everyone is gonna have the same ability or resources. So again, remember, ministry is never about comparing yourself to anybody else. Someone has more time than you do. Don't feel bad about it. Hopefully it takes a burden off some. Don't feel bad if you don't have the time. You don't have it, you don't have it. If you don't have the money, you don't have the... Don't feel bad for what you don't have. But be responsible for what you do have. Use whatever God has given you. Time, talents, resources, whatever it is. Use it to support the ministry. Even the great Saul could not have accomplished his mission if it weren't for the support of others through a man 
such as Barnabas. And so I hope that today we recognize that we continue in whatever ministry God has called us as this church. I believe we're entering into a new season. There's going to be new opportunities. But I would never, ever want anyone to lose sight that everyone in this church is a minister. We're all called to ministry. And I want the body of Christ, Image Church, to be known as a church of servants, a church of ministers, a church where people see a need and they meet it because they love Jesus. They have not forgotten what he has done for them. And they show their gratitude. They show that they've encountered Jesus. They show that that encounter has genuinely resulted in conversion through the ministry they perform in his name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you. Not only that Christ has pursued us when we weren't even looking, but we thank you that through the gracious enabling of the Holy Spirit, we who have repented and believed have been born again, children of God, sons and daughters, heirs of eternal life. And Lord, we thank you that we have not only been saved from something, from sin and death and hell, but much more, we've been saved to a life of ministry and service, lives of meaning and purpose in the name of Jesus. And so it's my prayer today, Lord, that we would respond to you. We would invite your Holy Spirit to fill us to overflowing. That we would be prepared to say, as Isaiah said, here I am, send me. Lord, show us what we can do to serve the body of Christ. Show us what we can do to reach the lost. Show us what we can do to bring glory and honor to your name. Reveal our gifts and talents. Use us to help others find their gifts. When we see someone serving, ministering, if we see a gift in someone, Lord, help us to ever be mindful to point those things out and affirm that for others. Help us to look out for one another to desire to see each person do better, to grow more, to press on, to finish well. We ask that you would bless this time of response now in Jesus' name. Amen.